to start off uh, in, in January of this year, I pulled our Mantle leadership group here at the church together, and um, I, I showed them a video clip of in the vast wilderness of the Negev uh, in Israel, there's a place called Torrent Valley that it's just a hot, dry, desolate wasteland, nothing but rocks and sand. But a couple of times a year, the water, the rainwater that collects in the mountains that surround that valley spills over, and this wasteland becomes a river. And some of the most beautiful vegetation, you know, in the following weeks after it becomes a river, some of the most beautiful and rare vegetation explode in this valley. And it's a very spiritually significant place to the people of Israel. Do y'all have that video? I know I gave it to you late. If you could play it, I just want people to, to, to see it. So right now, you know, just rocks, sand, you know, just this is how it looks like 360 days a year. Maybe only four or five days uh, does this phenomenon happen. But all the way at the top of, of the middle part of the screen, you can start to see there's there's some water coming down. If you just watch it for a few seconds, you'll see what happens. It's absolutely amazing what takes place. They're, they're showing this whole area, and you can just see it's just desolate and dry. But as the water starts coming down from the top of the mountains, I don't know if you can see the water starting to come right there in the middle portion of the screen. It's amazing what happens in this place. Now, this whole area is very significant to Israel. As you can start to see the water coming down, and in just a, just a few seconds, the whole area is going to become a mighty flowing river. And this place is very significant to Israel because they view this as a natural phenomenon with a spiritual purpose and significance. Because God said over and over in his word that he would make your desert places turn into a river. And that he would bring rivers in the desert. And if the, if the video kept on playing, it goes on for about another minute. If it kept on playing, uh, you, you just see this whole thing start to flood uh, with a mighty river. And the dog's about to get uh, swept away in the river, and uh, that's going to be funny, but, oh, he made it, he made it, but I mean, you were watching it when it started out just total desolate rocks, sand, you know, wasteland, and now you got a, you got a river in, in the desert. Now, this place when this happens, Israel would declare, they would shout, they would praise that God is the God that can bring rivers into our desert places. And the other interesting thing about this, this river, it only is a river a few days a year, but this river was the river where David went and got five smooth stones. I don't know if you notice all the stones on the ground before the water came. So David, he came to that spot during one of those days a year where everything was flowing and he reaches down and he takes five smooth stones. And so anyway, I, I showed that to our leadership team earlier this year in January. And I, I said to them out of a prophetic um, inspiration that I felt like 
that in 2020, God was going to bring rivers into our desert places. And I had no idea in January that all of 2020 would become a desert place. Worldwide pandemic, economic crash, everything falling apart. And yet I have seen in this year for so many of you, God did exactly what we saw back in January on the screen. That God, in the middle of a desolate, dry, hard, terrible year, God not only preserved us, he blessed us, he, he elevated us. Many of you have bought homes this year and got cars this year. Your, your livelihood was preserved this year. You took, you took not just defense stances in your business, but you took huge progressive steps forward. I'm, I'm looking at this precious couple that they got married a couple of weeks ago, and I thought if there was ever a, a year to get married, you know, but God... God has, has made a river flow in the middle of, of desert, desert all around us, desert all around the world. And yet God is so good and so faithful. He knows how to make things flow for his people when it's not flowing anywhere else, when it's dry, when it's hard, when it's painful, when it's difficult. God knows how to make it flow. Has he made it flow for anybody? As you look back over this year at all of the challenges and difficulties, hasn't God made it flow for you? Hasn't he been good to you? Hasn't he been kind to you? That's why we spend so much time praising the Lord because no praise is ever enough for how kind he's been and faithful he's been and just sweet he's been. He's a sweet God. And so today we're talking about blessing boundaries and barriers. And I want to start with blessing. Go with me to the book of Genesis, um, chapter 1, verse 27. Now I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to wait on them because I want them to see this. This is crazy to me. And when I was studying it, it really blew me, blew me away. Genesis 1, 27. Genesis 1, 27. Hallelujah. All right. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, this is the moment of creation. Mankind has just come into their consciousness. What's the first thing God did to the conscious created mankind? Verse 28, and God blessed them. Law of first mention, first thing God did to humanity, he Bless them. God is a blesser. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Now listen, he doesn't give them any sort of religious instruction. He doesn't give them any sort of dogma or doctrine. Not first anyway. He'll do that later. He doesn't even tell them about the commandment, the tree. You know, there's all the trees you can eat of in the garden except one. He does, that's not how he starts. How does God start? 
He starts with, hi, I'm God. I'm your father. I want to bless you. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. That's how God started because God in his character, at his core, in his nature, God is a blesser. Now, we've looked at Adam. He's significant in the book of Genesis because he's the, the first man. Now let's look at the first patriarch, the wellspring from which faith, even in the New Testament, is derived. And that's Abraham. Go to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through three. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. Verse two, and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse three, and I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, wait a second, all right? A lot of people have a low view of God when they approach him. They think God's mad at them, or they think that God's focused on their issues or their weaknesses. They think that God is keeping a laundry list of all the negative things they've done throughout their life. So that shapes their approach. And when they approach God, they approach him expected to be browbeat. When God showed up to Abraham, these are the first words that Scripture records that God said to him. And when God shows up to Abraham, Abraham is a member of the highest-ranking, idol-making family in all of his country. Abraham's father was an idolater and not just an idol worshiper. He was a professional idol worshiper, and he sold idols to be worshipped by other people. Idolatry is a major sin and crime against God. Romans says, even if you've never heard the gospel preached, that God has set eternity in the heart of mankind. So Abraham is in the midst of a sinful people, in the midst of a sinful family, and he's being trained in the business of idol making, and God shows up. Doesn't say one word about the idols, doesn't say one word about his immorality or his pagan practices. God shows up and says, hi, I'm God. Get out of the country you're living in because I'm going to turn you and your descendants into your own country. I've got a land for you that I'm going to give you and your children. I'm going to turn you and your children into a nation. So I got to give you land and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to bless you so much that I'll bless anybody that comes along and blesses you and I'll curse anybody that comes along and curses you. This is ridiculous. What an introduction. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm God, ruler of the whole earth, and I want to bless your socks off. God is a blesser. And this view of God has to be fixed in our minds when we approach him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that you can't even approach God right unless you believe that he is, he exists, and that you believe that he is a rewarder. He's a blesser of those that diligently seek him. Now, those were the first words God said to Abraham. Now let's look at the last words the Bible records that God says to Abraham. That's in Genesis 22, 16. 
And the angel of the Lord uh, said to him, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, look at verse 17, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham's life, the timeline of his life, beginning to end, was literally bookends of blessing. Why? Because at his nature and core, God is a blesser. God is a good God. And that's amazing. He could be God and not be good, but he chooses to be good. He's a kind God. He's a merciful God. Let me tell you this one. He's a happy God. He's a joyful God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. And just like he blessed, what we're seeing with Adam and Abraham is we're seeing archetypes. We're seeing overriding examples of how God wants to operate in the lives of people that approach him. And, and the same God that delighted in blessing Adam, that delighted in blessing Abraham, that same God wants to bless you. Could you get it in your mind for a few minutes this morning that God, that kind of God, wants to bless you. You say, Pastor, but I'm so broken, or I'm so this, or I'm so that. Take, take all that off the table. God will deal with that as you walk with him. But from a starting place, from a beginning of the relationship, God is saying, I want to bless you. It's in my heart to bless you. It's in my heart to strengthen you. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to bless you. Now, the amazing thing is what God said to Abraham is extended to every single person that believes in Jesus Christ. Now that's amazing. That kind, generous, just loving blessing that God extended to Abraham. God thought so much of what Jesus did on the cross that God said, I'm going to take the greatest blessing I ever gave in the Old Testament and I'm going to attach it to any person in the New Testament that will have faith in the sacrifice my son made on the cross. So look at what Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now remember, Abraham's promise and his blessing was to him and his descendants. Well, Paul says here in Galatians, that God cares more about spiritual genealogy than he does about natural genealogy. And Paul said, you are actually a descendant of Abraham if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says, verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you. All nations shall be blessed. Everybody raise your right hand and say, I am blessed. I am blessed. Verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Are you of faith? Then you're blessed. I don't care what's going on in your life right now. You're blessed anyway. You're blessed anyway. You woke up this morning and you woke up blessed. You're a blessed man. You're a blessed woman. You're a blessed family. You're blessed.
Now, look at Genesis 3.13, just a few verses down. Genesis 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham. Are you starting to see a pattern between God and blessing? That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we may receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then finally, look at Genesis 3, 26. For all of you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Race has nothing to do with it. There's neither slave nor free. Class has nothing to do with it. There's neither male nor female. Gender has nothing to do with it. I'll add this. There's neither Democrat nor Republican. You know, politics has nothing to do with it. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God is a blesser. Now, let's go back and look at that promise. Genesis 15, verse 8. Now, remember this, this idea God has. He shows up to Abraham. Abraham's living in a, another country with his family. And God says, all right, get out of your country and, and get out of your father's house to a land I'm going to show you. Because I want to give you this land. And then I want to multiply your descendants, your children, their children, their children, their children. And I want to multiply you until you become a great nation. Okay, that was God's idea. That was his blessing he was putting on Abraham. It was empowerment that he was putting on Abraham. Genesis uh, 15, 8. I want to look at the boundaries of the blessing of God. I want to look at, okay, where, where does this promise start? Where does this promise finish? Genesis 15, 8. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 1518, my fault. Y'all are doing good. I'm, I missed that one. 1518, I'm sorry. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. Everybody say, this land. Yeah. Right. So in other words, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and you're going to have to have land in order to be a nation, because you can't be a nation without land. So to your descendants, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give this land. And here's the boundaries of this promise. From the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. All right. So the boundaries of the promise was you start at the Nile, you go to the Euphrates, all the land in between. That's what I want to give your descendants to possess. All right. So let me just let me just drill the point home. Everybody say the Nile, Nile. to the Euphrates was the boundaries. Uh, show me the map if you can, just so we can get a little more understanding of the kind of swath of land God was talking about. All right. So we have the Nile uh, really starting down here and part of Sudan, but just, just look at this blue line that Pastor John drew around this. You have the Nile, 
and then follow the blue line all the way around through Saudi Arabia. You have uh, Dubai and the United Arab Emirates and all that land down into Yemen and all, this, this whole big swath of land. That's the border between the Nile and the Euphrates River that runs down there. Okay, that was the land. God said, I want your descendants to possess this land and there's, there's going to be other people occupying it, but if you'll fight for it, you'll never lose a battle because that's what I want to give you. Now, when they, in later generations, they would always go back to this covenant because Abraham, you know, made sure he chronicled it. This is, hey, sons, grandsons, you know, teach your kids. This is the boundaries of the land that God has for us. Make sure you possess it. This is our land. And uh, future generations, they, they would grow up and they would possess some of this land, but, but, but they would go to other regions and, and there was nothing there but sand and stones, hot, dry, terrible looking land, just a wasteland, a desert, nobody wanted to possess. So they failed to possess all of it. They didn't go from boundary to boundary. They took the land that looked the best on the outside to them. But then they left the land that, that was just a desert wasteland, not realizing, go back to that slide you just had up, not realizing that this area was rich with buried natural resources. I want you to think about this. The gold, silver, diamonds, and oil in this region, this swath of land God told them to possess is enough to support the world economy for 300 years. What every nation spends, what every military spends, what every person in the world spends for 300 years, just the buried natural resources could support the world in you. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It could support the world for 300 years, but they didn't possess it because it didn't look like it had anything in it. When God promises to bless you and you walk out and you see a wasteland, make sure you get a shovel because sometimes the blessings of God, you have to dig a little bit to see. And God was loading Abraham and his descendants up. And if they would have just possessed the land and held on to it today, they would be the most powerful economy in the world 300 times over, but they didn't know what was flowing under their feet. Have you inspected what's flowing under your feet? Have you inspected and excavated the blessings that God has given you? Because it wasn't just a blessing of acreage. Okay, I'm going to give you this acreage and it's horrible and it's hot and it's dry, but you can make something of it. No, it was the land and something buried in it. And I'm telling you, there's probably something buried in what you're looking over. Ah, yeah, there's probably something. There's probably some gold in your family that you haven't excavated. There's probably some diamonds in your spouse that you haven't excavated. And you're looking at the blessing that God gave you and you're overlooking it. And you're not taking everything that you could take. You're not taking the boundary as far as you could because you're looking at it on the outside and it looks like sand and rocks and a whole lot of hot desert. And I'm telling you, re-inspect. There's something valuable within everything that God has given you. So he says, go possess 
all of the boundaries, and, and they, they didn't do it. They didn't possess all of it. All the way until we get to David. Now, David is the only one of Abraham's descendants that purposed in his heart to say, I want to go from boundary to boundary. Now, David's children, they didn't, when they came to power, they didn't share this, so, so they never maintained it as a nation. But David is the only one that said, I want every promise God gave me. I want every inch of land that God promised to give me. It's in 1 Chronicles 18, verses 1 through 3. It says, after this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and took Gath and its towns from the hands of the Philistines. So he started, you know, right over by the Nile. Then he defeated Moab, verse 2, and the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. Everybody say tribute. It means payment. And then verse 3, David defeated uh, Hadarezer, the king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, and went to establish his power. The old King James says his dominion by the river Euphrates. So David started over by the Nile. Okay. And he went all the way to the Euphrates, establishing his dominion. In other words, he went back as soon as he got the crown, as soon as he came to power, he went back to the word and he said, where did God say the boundaries were? Nile to Euphrates. Okay, I'm going to take everything God said I could have within the boundaries. Don't care who likes it. Don't care if you're a hater. Don't care if you say I'm too focused on blessing. Don't care what none of y'all think. I'm going to go pursue my blessing from the Nile to the Euphrates. Now, David had a lot of hate and a lot of enemies tried to stop him. None of them could because it was already written in the original covenant. And David said, I want access to everything God has for me. Christians, I'm telling you, you are leaving too much on the table when it comes to your view of God and your approach of God. You do not realize the amount God loves you, nor the amount that he wants to bless you. And what you need to do like David is go get back in the word and say, where are the boundaries? I don't want anything outside the boundaries. Don't give me nothing I can't handle. Don't bless me with something that's going to take me away from you. But if it's inside the boundaries of what you said I could have, I refuse to live a life of faith and not possess everything you said I could have. I want everything that's in the boundaries. And so David began to possess it. Now, I believe this one verse in 1 Chronicles 18, I believe it reveals why David was the man after God's own heart. Now, that's a big theological question. Why was David the man after God's own heart? Some people will say because he was such a worshiper or because he wrote poems to God or, or you know, because he, he did various things in sacrifice. But there was a lot of people that worshiped God. There's a lot of people that wrote poems. Moses wrote some of the Psalms. There's a lot of people that sacrificed a lot to God. Why does David stand out as the man after God's own heart? Because from the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. Okay. 
God spoke out of his heart when he said to Abraham, I want you and your descendants to possess all this land. And David got in there and read that and said, God, if it's in your heart to give us all this land, we need to go after all this land and possess it. And I believe it pleased God's heart when he saw one person out of all the descendants of Abraham stand up and say, wait a second, if the word says I can have it, I'm going to go and get it. If the word says I can be blessed with this land, I'm going to go get this land. If the word says I can be blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed in my uprising and blessed in my down setting, if the word said it, I'm going to go after what the word says I can have. If the word says I can be healed, I'm not going to settle in a desert of sickness and just say, oh, well, if God wanted to heal me, he would. No, I'm going to go after what the word said I can have. If the word said I can have a strong family, I'm not going to go down the path of everybody else and lose my family over some foolishness. I'm going to have everything the word said I can have. If it's in the boundary, it's in the boundary. If it's within the boundary, it is within my life and within my reach. And I believe David pleased God when he said, I, I, I want everything you have for me. We've been having some problems with my son in school. Um, and and I, haven't, I haven't, you know, really complained to you a lot about it because they told me he'd never go to school. So I'm just thrilled he's in school, you know. It's, amazing to me and um, so we we were so worried about him because everybody's a special needs special needs special needs and we we're like okay you know whatever he is he is and but we we're worried about him not being able to learn so we put him in two head start programs he got kicked out of the first one for bad behavior and um, you know Christian school you know couldn't deal with him and uh, so so we took him to the heathen school that's used to dealing with the heathens, and they, you know, he, he did okay there. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, he's had two years of head start, you know, because we were worried about him. So now he gets to kindergarten, and, you know, they're, they're teaching ABCs and sight words and basic phonics, and he's bored to tears. He's, he's learned all that for two years. And so... You know, he won't sit in his desk, and he's, he's going up and pulling the flags down and putting the flag on his back like a cape and, you know, uh, gluing all the students' hands to their desks and just all kind of, and, um, you know, he's wild. And, <laughs> and the other day, the other day, you know, you wouldn't know it to look at Levi, but uh, Levi is just a, he's a little stud, you know, he's, he's got a lot of muscles and he's real built, you know, and. So he decided to take off his clothes and show all the kids in his class how. <laughs> so, I mean, since August, we've been getting just so many calls about this kid. You know, every time the phone rings and we look and it's them, we're like, oh, Jesus, what do he do now? And, and it's just, it's been interesting. But, um. The other day, and what we've been doing is we've been trying to leverage discipline and reward. So it's like every day, boy, that you get in trouble and you get home, there's going to be discipline. But if you have a good day, there's going to be a reward, you know, leveraging it. So he, he's been doing better lately. And he, for the first time last week, he, he comes home and... The principal calls, and we're thinking, oh, Jesus, you know, and I'm getting the belt ready, you know, just, <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> and, uh, 
And, and the principal said, I just had to call you. Levi had such an amazing day. Now, she started, and she started just telling us all the things. He did all of his work. We didn't even know how, he knew how to do all that work. And, and he was so helpful for his friends. And, and he, he complimented all the teachers and told them they were the best teacher. He made everybody's day. And he was just so good. And so I'm emotional about the boy anyway, everything I've been through. I'm, I'm crying, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You know, I, I, <laughs> and, uh, and. And so, and I, I get out of hand. I, I go off the rails when I get emotional. Katie tries to lock me up when I get emotional because I'm so tender anyway. If I'm emotional about something, I'll just lose it. And, and I, I set that boy down. I said, listen to me. So I want you to listen and listen good. I said, daddy is very happy with you right now. You did amazing. Now, I want you to think. I want you to take a minute and think about whatever you want, whatever you want, and you ask me for it, and I'll give it to you. <laughs> Katie goes in the bathroom, just shuts the door, and, uh, you know, and after I said it, I got a little nervous, because I, I figured he's going to ask for a basketball goal or a punching bag. He's really into punching bags. I thought he's going to ask about one of the things he's been talking about. And he, he takes him and he says, I want to go watch my iPad. And I said, no, no, son. No, you, you didn't realize. I am very happy with you. Okay? You made me look good today. You made me look like I'm not a terrible parent in front of all those people at the school. And, and you didn't embarrass me with the phone call. And you, you, you really did something for me today. So think of whatever. If we need to go to Target to get it or wherever in the city, I, I want to I do what, what you want to do. What do you want to do? I want to go watch my iPad. And a grilled cheese, yeah. And I'm, I'm fighting mad, you know. And uh, then Sam, he runs over there and looks at me like the question's going to get parlayed to him. Disney World. Disney World. Now. Disney World. Disney World. I wasn't asking you. Go sit down and play with your trucks. My boy <laughs> Sam is ruthless. Um, my boy left a lot on the table that day, you know? And I think a lot of times we as believers leave a lot on the table. In our, even in our approach, like he's so used to getting disciplined when he gets home that, that he was just, it was a win for him not to get a spanking, you know? And, uh, not that he gets a spanking every day. It's like every other. No. So it was a win for him not to, not, not to be in trouble. I think because of conditioning, the way 
you know, a lot of well-meaning but, but poor explaining people have conditioned us to approach God. I think we approach God, you know, kind of on the defense and do not realize the depth of his love and grace and delight in us. Did you know that your father is very happy with you today? He told me to tell somebody that. Daddy's very happy with you today. And God wants to bless you. Now, if you're sitting there trying to rationalize, how can that be? The answer is grace. Okay. The grace of God because of the sacrifice and the blood Jesus Christ shed. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the promise is over your head. But only David, out of all of the kings of Israel, out of all the descendants of Israel, only David was the one that said, I want to go and possess. You know, he was like Sam, Disney World now. You know, I, I, want, I want the fullest extent of what you're able to do for me. If you said you wanted to give it to me, I want to bless your heart by receiving what you released to me through your word. And I want to tell you to refuse to settle for less than what God promised you in the covenant. Galatians said you're an heir of the promise that God made to Abraham. You're an heir of the original blessing to be fruitful, to multiply, and to take dominion. You are an heir of God and no devil in hell, no person that hates you, no circumstance in your life can stand against the promise that God has over you and your family and your future. You're called to be blessed. You're anointed to be blessed. You're empowered to be blessed. You are destined to be blessed. God said, I swear I'm going to bless you. Don't allow a low view of God or his word to pollute your understanding of his heart or his character. His heart and his character is he's a blesser. He wants to do something good for you. He wants to make a way for you. He wants to open up a door for you. The problem you're having in your family, he wants to counsel you through it. The problem that you're having in your finances, he wants to bless you through it. The problem you're having in your business, he wants to bless you over and above to where nothing can stand against your advancement. But for some reason... For some reason, and I've seen this all my life, for some reason, people approach God. Um, you know, there are some people that, that don't feel um, whole and stable in a home unless there's conflict. Like if there's, if there's too much peace, they don't, they don't feel like it's okay or it's normal. And sometimes they'll stir up conflict just to feel normal because they grew up in homes where there was a lot of yelling and plate throwing and door slamming and all that kind of stuff and and really in their psyche they don't feel like everything's right unless there's chaos you know and and some of us bring our preconceived preformed paradigms to God and and the problem with that is God is as big as your faith imagines him to be. 
Okay, you hear me? He's as big as your faith imagines him to be. Now think about that word imagine. In the Old Testament, God told the children of Israel, he, he made it a commandment. He forbid them to construct a graven image in his honor. Okay? In other words, he said, don't create a statue to honor me. Even though you believe in the one true God, even though you, know, you believe in the Ten Commandments and all that, don't make a statue out of it. Don't make anything visible because I'm an invisible God. And what do you have to do when you approach an invisible God? You have to imagine. In other words, if I created an image to present it to you and said, this is an image of God, then I've just restricted your imagination and I brought your imagination to whatever level my imagination was, right? If I made a statue and said, this is what God looks like, now I've restricted your creativity and your imagination of what he could be and could do, and now I've brought it down to whatever level the statue makers was. So God said, none of you create an image of me because I can be as big and as broad as each individual's imagination of me can be. And so you have a person like Jabez who was born in the midst of a family. The father had left. The mother had struggled. The mother was in such terrible straits that she named Jabez, which means painful. She took the pain that she was going through and put it on her kids. Incidentally, don't do that. Don't take the pain and mess you're going through and put it on your kids. Too many people have done that, and it's messed up generations of people. You deal with your own mess and leave your kids alone. Let them deal with the mess life's going to throw at them. Don't you put yours on them but she put her mess on her son and he was he was just living in abject poverty and struggle and pain and he goes to God but he has an imagination and he says oh that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory that your hand would be with me that I may not cause evil and and that I may not or that I may not be led to evil and that, that I will not cause pain and the Bible says God heard his prayer and answered his request but so many of us, in the absence of a real relationship of God or with God ourselves, we follow the pattern of other people's. You know? And before we'll have faith for it, we almost have to find somebody else that got what we're hoping for so we can pattern after that. And God said, don't build any graven images of me. I can do and be anything you can imagine that I can be. And so, and so David was blessed because he decided to go after it. Now, really quickly, I'm going to breeze through these. In the process of going after it, he had to deal with barriers. When you decide to go after all of the things that God has for you, there will be barriers. Barriers are not a cancellation of the blessing. Barriers are a natural uh, product of testing your faith and commitment. How bad do you want it? You know, some people see the barrier and think that it's a no from God. No, it's just something you use your faith to get through. So on the way from the Nile to the Euphrates, David went through four barriers. Number one was arch rivals, arch rivals. Everybody say arch rivals. No, that's number three. Number one is arch rivals. There you go. David was born the year that the Philistines came to power and they were uh, 
they were oppressing the children of Israel. So David is born the year they come to power. And then for 70 years, David is anointed to keep the Philistines down. The Philistines lose power when David kills Goliath. And David kept them under his foot all of his life until he died. When he died, they came back to power. So you see the relationship of our tribals. An our tribal is something in your life that you have to fight all of your life. Okay. Every single one of you in here has an our tribal. Something in your life you've been fighting since you can remember. Okay. Uh, for many different people, it's many different things. But everybody has an our tribal. You got to find out what it is early and fight that thing. You're going to have to keep your foot on that thing. Number two, arch rivals will produce giants. Okay. Uh, the giants in your life come from the factory of your arch rivals. Ooh, I'm good. I'm going to say it again. The giants in your life come from the factory of your arch rivals. So the Philistines had a factory called Gath where giants are born. And so Goliath and his four brothers were born in Gath, and they came to champion the Philistines' cause. Every single one of you will face giants. And if you trace the giants in your life, they go back to the source of your arch rival. That's what makes them a giant. Any other attack, any other place the attack was coming from, it would just be life. You know, life is full of attacks and problems. What makes a giant a giant is because it has some kind of pull in you because it's an arch rival. So what does David do? He goes to that river that I told you about in the beginning of the service. And he gets five smooth stones, one for Goliath and four for Goliath's brothers, revealing the spiritual principle that for every giant in the life of a believer, God has a supernatural rock. For every giant you're facing, God has a supernatural strategy to bring the thing down. Now, remember, I told you that river, it only flows a couple of times a year. So David goes to the river when it's flowing to take out the weapons he needs to defeat the giant. That's a powerful principle for you that I want to share with you, that I want you to make a part of your faith walk and your faith experience. When the river is flowing, that's the time to get your weapons that will bring the giant down. When the river's flowing. Everybody say, when the river's flowing. You take, if you're discerning and you're sensitive, you take spiritual weapons when the river's flowing. Uh, five smooth stones of dominion to bring down giants. Uh, David sowed sacrificially. His father asked him to go take bread and cheese to his brothers. David has been anointed to be king, but now he's being sent as an errand boy. But he does it. He sows his time, his sweat, his energy, his resource to go take bread and cheese to his brothers. Sowing sacrificially is a weapon that will bring giants down. Intercession and travail. Number two, deep intercession. And listen, deep intercession is not something you can do all the time. If people do deep intercession all the time, they're weird. You know, it's not real. Deep intercession comes on you, okay? It's something that comes on you in moments, in seasons, in times. 
where you feel that you need to pray with force and you need to groan with force and you need to go intensely into prayer. Deep intercession is a spiritual weapon. When it is flowing, it is powerful. Number three, consecration. I, uh, I don't use this word a lot with you. We have a very new and burgeoning church as far as the type of people that are attending. And I haven't talked a whole lot about consecration with you, things like fasting and things like taking time and, and, and sealing yourself off just to be with the Lord. Um, I personally don't love the subject, not because of the subject itself, but because of how the subject has been ruined in churches. And there's a lot of people that talk about living a consecrated life. You cannot live a consecrated life and have any quality of life. God never intended for you to live a consecrated life. Okay? You can't fast every day. You'll die. You know? You just can't do it. You can't fast every single day. You know? That's for a season. Paul talks about seasons of fasting and prayer. Um, when you consecrate, you're, you're cutting back the flesh and the soul. So there's times when you, you're in consecration, you don't... You don't watch anything. Uh, you don't entertain yourself in any way. Um, you, don't, um, you don't have really much social interaction outside of immediate family. And you just kind of devote your focus and consciousness to the word of God and prayer and things like that. But you can't live your life that way. You'd be a disgusting person to be around. No one would ever want to see you or talk to you or have anything to do with you. Because there are people that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And, but, but by the same token... Seasons, times, moments of consecration can be very powerful when they're dealt with in balance. Okay, In other words, when the river's flowing, those times of the year where you feel, you know what, I need to consecrate. I need to fast. I need to have a time where I pull back and I refuse anything that the flesh wants at all. Food, you know, those kind of things. So it's a powerful weapon. Number four, worship. Now, we always worship God. But I think a lot of us miss it on this, and some of you that are newer to the things of God, you miss it on this a lot. There are times, you know, not every worship song is going to get you there. Not every worship song, the river's going to be flowing. But there are times you'll be in a service, and you'll feel something unusual during the worship. That's not a time you just stand there and just, you know, have your hands up like this, and you just feel the feeling and don't do nothing. That's your cue to press into that moment because the river is flowing. There's a rock in there for you that'll bring a giant down out there in your life. So don't just stand there and sway back and forth. Put yourself into the moment. Give into the moment. Get into the river. Lift your hands. Sing. Shout. Cry. Sway. It doesn't matter who's looking at you. Somebody said, you know, I'm worried about what people are going to think. Who cares what people are going to think? If, there, if my rock's in that river to bring my giant down, get out of my way. I'm going to get my rock. I'm praising him because I want to get my rock. Laugh at me while I praise him. I don't care. I'm reaching for my rock. I've got a devil to fight. i got a giant to break down. I'm going to get my rock. Some of you get mad at people because they praise loud or they dance or they run over top of your toe or they hit you in the face when they're swinging their hands. But, but don't get mad at them. You don't know what kind of giant they got to go out and fight. And they're going to get their rock. You know, if you don't want to get in the river, that's fine. I'm going to get my rock. And then prophetic response. When you, when, when you get a prophetic word or when a prophetic word is uttered, 
You know, prophetic words can be strange things. It can be odd things. And they can be things that easy to make fun of, you know. Uh, in, in the book of Kings, the, the prophet came to the king of Israel, and he said, uh, God's going to help you with your enemies uh, if you'll get up, take one of your arrows, and start striking the ground. And the king says, ridiculous. I need a battle plan. Your predecessor, the former prophet, he would come in and give kings battle plans and strategies on how to win. And you're telling me I'm going to win if I pick up an arrow and I just hit it four or five times. He said, yeah, it's a prophetic, it's a prophetic action. It's a prophetic response. Either do it or don't. But, you know, stop wasting my time. So the king just uh, bah, 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 three times. And the prophet gets up and rebukes him and says, you're going to win three because you hit the ground three times. But your other enemies, the remaining four, they're going to overtake you. And they did. Why? The, the river was flowing. Any other time, it would be a lunatic with an arrow beating the ground. But that time, in that moment, heaven required an earth response to a prophetic word. And so... There are times when God sends a word of instruction or God sends an anointing in a service and you feel to raise your hands or you feel to stand or to shout or you feel to run or to dance and you, you suppress that not realizing heaven was asking earth for a prophetic response. Are you willing to do something that looks crazy to get the victory I want to send you? Are you willing to make a prophetic response? Are you willing to sing louder than your neighbors are singing on your row? Are you willing to throw up your hands? Are you willing to cry in front of people you don't know? Are you willing to make a prophetic response? Five smooth stones. David goes while that river is flowing and he takes out the supernatural strategies that will bring his giant down. Listen to me. I want to be the place. I want this church to be the place. Not where you come out of tradition or out of some uh, requirement of faithfulness. I want you to come here when you got a giant. When there's a giant in your marriage, when there's a giant in your finances, when there's a giant in your health, when there's a giant in your life, I believe God sends the current. He sends the word. He sends the anointing to this house, a house of dominion, to spew strategies and, and to spew resources so that you can take what you get in here and go out in your life and take your giants down and possess the promises of God. David's giant came down, and yours will too, if you use supernatural weapons. Okay. So David takes care of Goliath, he takes care of his brothers, and he establishes his dominion in that area. Let me go real fast. I want to let you go. Number three, the Moabites. This is from 1 Chronicles. First, he took out the Philistines. Verse two, he defeated Moab. Now, the Moabites represent Go back to my Moabite slide. The Moabites represent inherited weakness. All right. Everybody say inherited, inherited. weakness. All right. So David's uh, great, great grandmother, uh, Ruth, she was a Moabitess. And what that means is she descended from Moab. All right. So Moab got its start when Lot. You may not even know who Lot is. I don't have time to really. 
when Lot had an uh, incestuous relationship, sexual relationship with his own daughter. Perverted, okay? And from that perverted union came Moab. Ruth descends from that, all right? And uh, with her great-grandson, Jesse, this perversion thing was just going through the bloodline, visiting every generation, you know? And so Jesse has an adulterous affair with a prostitute and produces David. Okay. So David's got all this junk from Moab and all the way down to his dad. He's got all this junk in his life, inherited weakness. Okay. You have some strengths you got from generations before you. And this morning with your smiling, good looking self, you got some weaknesses from generations before you inherited weakness. And um, this weakness, this sexual perversion thing burned like a wildfire in David's life. Almost cost him his kingdom. Uh, he had sex with a woman that was married to one of his generals. And uh, to try to cover it up, he had the general killed. And Uriah was a, a famed general. The people loved him. And so there was almost an insurrection they almost came and took the throne by force away from David because of what he did. But God gave him grace to deal with his weakness. And if you will bring your weakness to God, not try to hide it from him, not, not, not try to, to, to distance him from it. If you will bring your weaknesses to God, God will give you the grace to deal with it. And then even look at this. First uh, Chronicles 18 uh, verse 2. Remember, David descended from the Moabites, and uh, now they've come and they're, they're trying to, to fight him while he's trying to take possession of the fullness of the promise. So first he defeated the Philistines. Verse two, he also defeated the Moabites. They became subject to him and brought him tribute. In other words, when he surrendered his weakness to God, God eventually made his weaknesses pay him. And that's what I want to give to you. If you will give your weakness to God, God will make your weakness pay you. God will make your weakness that you've been fighting all your life turn around and bless you. God will turn your ashes into beauty. He will turn your mourning and crying into the oil of joy. God will make the thing that's been hounding you all of your life and making you feel unqualified. God will make that thing turn around and pay you. I didn't say it. The word said it. He made the Moabites pay David. Your weakness is going to pay you. God's not going to stop blessing you until he makes even your weaknesses pay you. Not just your enemies bless you. Your weaknesses pay you. And then number four, Haterazar. Haterazar is, you know, first part of his name. He was a hater. Haterazar. And uh, Haterazar was a politician, not a warrior. And politicians are the worst. I don't care what side you're on. They're the worst. Because they don't have the strength to do something. They try to manipulate other people to do it. It's what all politicians do. All right. I'm going to say it again because your face really doesn't scare me. <laughs> Should have been here Wednesday night. Politicians usually can't do it themselves. So they try to manipulate other people to do their bidding. Hater Razor was this kind of person. He wasn't a warrior king like David, 
He was a political king. So what he did was he went and organized and stirred up strife and hatred with four other kingdoms and said, we're going to take David today. And they assembled themselves against David from the north, south, east, and west. All sides. David was attacked on all sides. Now, you keep on growing in your life, and one day, maybe even today, you're dealing with a hater razor. Okay. That has organized an attack against you from all sides. This is a picture of Satan. Satan doesn't just like to attack one area. Have you ever noticed the greatest attacks of your life happen when you're already dealing with one of the greatest attacks of your life from all sides? If it's not this, it's that. If it's not that, it's the other. And if that's that's coming from something from behind, I didn't even see all sides. And the Lord shared with me to give this to you because somebody in this room came in here this morning and you're being attacked on all sides. It is when you are being attacked on all sides that you are the closest to breakthrough. Listen to me. He started at the Nile. Okay. He started at the Nile. He plowed through the Philistines. He plowed through the Moabites. Now he's close. The final barrier for him possessing the fullness of the promise of that land, what God said he wanted to give him. The final barrier was Hadarazar and his scheme to attack him on all sides. And whenever the devil attacks you on all sides, or whenever life attacks you on all sides, or whenever people attack you on all sides, remember, if God be for you, he is more than the world allied against you. If God be for you, then no weapon, whether it's formed on your left, on your right, in front of you, or behind, no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you, your God will condemn. When you are attacked on all sides, remember God is my defense. God is my shield and my reward. God is the strength of my life. God is my fortress and my deliverer when you're attacked on all sides. And while you're being attacked, just remember, if you can trust God and stand in the face of it, that kind of all sides attack is a clue. It's an announcement. It's the enemy giving you secret information that you're closer to your promise and your breakthrough than you've ever been before. Stand with me and give the Lord a praise this morning. All right. Don't leave nothing on the table. Have a high view of God. God's a blesser. He loves you. His grace is manifested towards you in the face of Jesus. And I speak now that the blessing of God would come upon you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. That, that God would teach you the boundaries of the promise he has, he has for you. In fact, just 
just ask the Lord right now, say, what are the boundaries? What can I have? What can I achieve? What can this family do? What can this business do? What can this book I'm writing do? What can this thing I'm planning on launching, what can it do? What's the boundaries? Show me the boundaries. Reveal the boundaries of my habitation. I don't want nothing that's, that's more than what you've assigned for me. But every inch of what you've assigned for me, I want to take dominion. I want to have it. I want to walk in it. If you purposed in your heart to give it to me, God, teach me about my life. Teach me to number my days. Teach me to know what season I'm in. Teach me to know what season this marriage is in. Teach me to know what season this family is in. Teach Teach me to know how to move, how to use my time, how to walk, what to read, who to connect to, where to position myself. Teach me to know so I don't waste my life and fall short of what you had in mind to give me. Now, may the Lord your God bless you. May the Lord your God keep you. May his character to bless be manifested in your life. May his strength be over your family over your children, over your future, in all of your ways as you acknowledge him and worship him. May he direct your path, give you insight and wisdom and strength for what you're facing. And to those of you that are in a battle, remember, this battle is not yours. It belongs to God. Give him a praise all over the house today.